friends, this is Pastor Bill Clark. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, friends, are the first two words I begin each message that I get the privilege to share each Sunday. I get to tell my friends about the greatest friend, Jesus Christ. I also consider friends to be one of the greatest gifts a person can have in this earthly life. Most of the episodes will be messages I share each Sunday, but from time to time, I'll invite a friend to share some of their life with us over a beverage. I pray these episodes bless you and help you on this journey of life. God's blessings to you, friend. Hello, friends. This is a message I preached on Sunday, November 27th. It's the first Sunday of the church year, the first Sunday of Advent, and also chapter 11 of the story. We start to talk about David. The shepherd becomes a king. Hello, friends. Well, today we begin anew. You heard Nebraska's got a new football coach, right? No, that's not what I'm talking about today. We're talking about the season of Advent. We're talking about the new church year. The word Advent is a Latin word from the word coming. It's a time where we wait in eager anticipation for an important guest. It's a time where we prepare for our coming King. I would say the most important guest this world has ever welcomed. Jesus, God incarnate, God in the flesh, will be born as a baby. He's going to dwell among us. He's going to be one of us. And God is going to give us the greatest gift that He's ever given mankind. So Advent begins, the church year. It begins with Jesus' earthly life. And you're probably questioning, why are we reading Palm Sunday today? We're getting ready for Christmas. Isn't that, isn't that in the springtime? The key thing we read there today was, it was a prophecy that was fulfilled. It's Jesus in the Old Testament. So then after Advent begins Christmas, as we know, which is about Jesus' birth. Then we have Epiphany, which is January 8th, I believe, this year, which is about his miracles and his ministry. Then we go into Lent. Lent is Jesus' journey to the cross, his Calvary-bound mission. Then we have Easter, the resurrection, the sending of the apostles. Forty days after the resurrection, we have the ascension and Pentecost, the sending of the Holy Spirit. That's the first half of the church year. December through June focuses on the life of Christ. The second half of the church year, approximately June through November, focuses on the teachings of Christ. So Advent specifically focuses on Christ's coming. Christ is going to come, but... Where we're at in the story today, he's not going to come for about a thousand years later. Twenty-eight generations later, in fact, after David. So we're in chapter 11 of the story. We're introduced to David. God will choose his first king to rule over his people through Samuel. Remember last week, Samuel chose Saul to be king in chapter 10. But David 
A man after God's own heart will be chosen by God to rule over his people. As we read, David's the most unlikely in the eyes of the people to lead him. Yet he's chosen by God. Remember last week when Saul chose, or Saul was chosen, Saul was said to stand tall, ahead above everyone else, and he was good looking. He stood out in the crowd. Saul is the guy that everybody wants to follow. But David? David was a young shepherd boy. 16 years old. Ruddy. Some people say that it's like the runt. We also know that David had red hair, freckled face, complexion. And he was cute. Cute little boy. So Saul had been rejected by God to be king over Israel. And now he sends Samuel out once again to find a new king. But this time... God is going to choose who the king will be. So Samuel comes to the house of Jesse. And remember, Jesse is the grandson of Boaz and Ruth. He's looking for the next king of Israel. And so Jesse sends out seven of his sons. And God passes on every one of them. Samuel asks, you got any more sons? He says, yeah, got one more. His name is David. He's not here. He's out shepherding the flock. You see, his dad didn't even think David was worthy to bring in the house to bring before Samuel. But when David arrives, God tells Samuel, arise, anoint him. For this is the one. This is he. You imagine the reaction of Samuel? Imagine the action of Jesse and the other brothers. David? You kidding me? The cute little boy that's been out in the field with the sheep? You imagine the action of David? Me? God wants me to be king? There has to be something wrong. But we have already seen in our journey through the story that God's used people who we don't see as worthy. And not only that, these people, after they are chosen, they don't feel like they're worthy. We look no further than Moses or Gideon as just two examples that come to mind. So as Samuel is reviewing the sons of Jesse, he thinks that some of the other brothers are the one. But then God said to Samuel, do not look on the appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You see, God has already chosen David because of his heart. To our standards and to the world's, David was the last person anyone thought would be king. But to God, David was the one. No doubt about it. You know, I mean, think about in athletics, especially professional sports. You know, when someone's drafted, they go from college into professional sports. They're, they're putting through a litany of tests, right? They've got to run this fast. They've got to jump this high. They've got, they got to do this skill. They've got to bench press so much. And so they run them through all these tests, right? And every year there comes up these athletes that didn't pass the eye test, did they? They didn't meet all those standards that the professional athletes want, but yet here they are, excelling in the sport. Why? 
because they couldn't test the heart, right? They couldn't test the heart of the athlete. You know, on the other side of that, there's athletes that come out of college or get drafted in professional sports. They pass the eye test. They test higher than anybody else on any of those tests. They draft them first, pay them a whole bunch of money, and they're a flop, right? They're a failure. You see, these teams, they can't get into the chest of the athlete. They can't measure his determination, his focus, and what makes his heart beat. What makes them want to compete. But God knows, and God can measure the heart of each and every person. He knows a person's wants. He knows what makes their heart tick. He knows what others cannot test and he under, and understands that about the heart. You see, God knows the heart of each and every single one of us. There is nothing about you that he does not already know. He knows the trials, the hurts, the pains. He knows the joys, the excitement, and the hope. And God knows where our contentment lies. Does it lie in the things of this world or in Him? When I honestly answer that question, it's a constant struggle between the two, isn't it? Are we in a position of power? Only use that power to feed ourselves and get the things of the world that we want. You know, I I thought about this. If you get some of the most powerful people in the world and you were told, you can ask them one question. My question would be this. What gives you contentment? What gives you contentment? I bet most of them would have a hard time answering that question. Because they don't know what true contentment is. Because to me, they always seem like they're chasing the next thing. They're looking to get more power. And they're looking about how they can put one more dollar in their bank account. But David, David's heart was content out in the field with the sheep. And God knew it. So young David, he's anointed to be king, but he's going to have to wait 14 years before he is king. And Saul, the first king, he didn't want to give up the throne. But David serves under Saul. But things start to change quickly when the Israelites go to battle. They go to battle with the Philistine army, especially with a man named Goliath. See, the Israelites and the Philistines are in the battle for the promised land. The Israelites know that the Philistines are going to be hard to defeat, especially with men like Goliath. So all kinds of scholars have tried to figure out, how big is Goliath? How big was he really? Well, pretty reliable source says that he was close to maybe eight, nine feet tall. Goliath's armor weighed more than David did ringing wet, right? Goliath comes out every day to challenge the Israelites for 40 straight days. He tempts them and bullies them. Send someone over to defeat me. Each day the Israelites just have to look at each other and wonder, who's going to fight this guy? Because if the Philistines have Goliath, there's no way that we can defeat him. Well, it just so happens one day that David is sent out as a messenger. Sent out to a messenger in the battle between the Philistines and the Israelites. 
And as David was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. And immediately David gives this response. David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the land of this Philistine, Goliath. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Well, Goliath was none too humored. In fact, he was insulted by this cute little boy that they sent out as he approaches Goliath to fight. And we know those words. And David put his hand in the bag and he took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face on the ground. You see, David having testified to his faith in God, made short work of Goliath. But David didn't deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. God did. God is the true deliverer of his people. The victory that David predicted demonstrated to the world once again the power of God. You know, they've heard stories about their ancestors and the parting of the Red Sea and their escape from Egypt. And now they're seeing before their very eyes David defeats Goliath with a stone. You see, God's been on a pursuit of them to win their hearts and deliver them to the land that he has always promised them. The Israelites, through all their complaining and their discouragement, we read that they worshiped false gods, they rejected God. God never left his people. Never. He pursued them and delivered them. And he's not stopping there. Our God is not done. You know, we read the story of David and Goliath. It's one of the first stories, it seems, that we always teach our kids in Sunday school because... We love the story of good versus evil, right? We love the story of an underdog. When a heavy favorite falls, especially to an underdog that looks like they have no chance to win, we love these stories, especially in sports. The biggest upset in sports has been called the Miracle on Ice, 1980. Right? Al Michaels said those famous words, Do you believe in miracles? Bet you if you ask David, he'd probably say, yeah, I do. He says these words, and the heavily favored Russians went down in defeat. I think I was about 11 or 12 years old. I remember watching this on TV. The lives of those hockey players and their coach changed in a big and stunning way. Each player became a household name. And for David, things are going to change in a really big way. So much so, that King Saul becomes jealous of David to the point where he wants him dead. 1 Samuel 18, 12 says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. So Saul and David. The stories of these two men are going in completely different directions now. Saul was once a powerful king, but he didn't follow the direction of God and the warning from Samuel. And he's a mess now. And he's struggling to make sense of it all. Scripture says that Saul became paranoid, unstable as days went on. It got so bad that his own family preferred, preferred David over him. 
Saul is so consumed by anger and jealousy that on numerous occasions, he tried to kill David. Because David was a threat. Saul's heart had become hard. Saul could see the end coming, but he didn't want it to come. And he wasn't going to let go of the crown without a fight. David, on the other hand, was going viral. He killed Goliath. He helped the Israelites to win many battles. The people sang of his feats. David has slain tens of thousands. David won the hand of the daughter of King Saul. David didn't have to pay any taxes for the rest of his life for defeating Goliath. He was a poet and a musician. David wrote many of the Psalms we have in Scripture. David was a man after God's own heart. David is faithful to God, and God blesses him. David has his entire life in front of him. He has been anointed to be king, a king God chose for his people. But keep this in the back of your mind. David, the young, ruddy, cute, redhead, freckle-faced kid, he's not perfect. We're going to see those faults in chapter 12 next week. But for today, we see David in training to be king. And God's going to use three people to prepare David to be king. These three people are Samuel, Jonathan, and Nathan. First is Samuel. Samuel's a mentor for David because Samuel had this wealth of life experience and trials. He's a source of wisdom and knowledge for David. You saw in Scripture when David needed advice and guidance, he went to Samuel. David also knows that Samuel is a man after God's own heart. Jonathan, the son of King Saul, is David's friend. Every man needs a friend. A true friend who they can trust. Who they can talk to. Who they can relate to. They have something in common with. Jonathan, the son of Saul, he was groomed to be the king by Saul. But Jonathan knew. He knew David would be the next king. Jonathan helped David. He protected him and listened to David when he needed a friend. And Nathan? Nathan holds David accountable. We're going to see more of this next week in chapter 12. Nathan, a trusted person in David's life, comes forward and holds David accountable when David needs to hear the truth. Because you have to think about Nathan. Holding someone accountable, especially someone who is king, could have some bad consequences. But God put Nathan in David's life to hold him accountable. So God brought Samuel and Jonathan and Nathan into David's life to help prepare him to be king. You know, as you look back on your life, God has helped bring many people in your life to help prepare us and lead us. Because in this journey of life, when we were young, we had the whole world out in front of us and we're told, go chase your dreams. Right? Don't let anyone tell you you can't do it. And then we start moving through life and everything seems to be going pretty well and then you have a setback. You have an unexpected event. Then years pass by of our lives 
We wake up one day and wonder, there's got to be more to life than this. There has to be more to life than this. Maybe it's the stage of life that I'm in, but I see a lot of men that have achieved world successes. And you start diving in their life and reading about them, and you find out they're empty. They're alone. And they're wandering. They have very little contentment in their life. See, we all need mentors. We all need friends. We need people to hold us accountable. I can almost guarantee you that the stories that you see of men that fall in a very public way, they didn't have true mentors, friends, and people to hold them accountable in their lives. Especially accountability people in their lives because they're king of their own world. And they're certainly not going to surround anybody in their lives that's going to tell them no. You see, God put Samuel and Jonathan and Nathan in the life of David. A man who God himself anointed to be king. So who is your Samuel? Who is your Jonathan? Who is your Nathan? Who is your friend, mentor? Who is your friend? Who holds you accountable? Because remember, none of us are perfect, including the guy standing in front of you. Because we have to surround ourselves with people who have a heart, a heart for God. And through our life experience, God prepares us every day. Because not all the experiences are what we want, are they? We pray for things in our lives, but God doesn't seem to answer our prayers. We ask for things in our lives, and God doesn't seem to give them to us. Because there's Goliaths in our lives that don't seem to go away. But God is continuing to prepare us in this life, in this lower story. Because we're a part of His story, His upper story. I'm here to tell you today, you can't do it on your own. That's why we worship together, that's why we come together on a Sunday. Because all throughout Scripture, we see men and women who are mentors. They're friends. They hold people accountable. If you don't have a mentor or a true friend or accountability person in your life, look around for someone who could be. Look around for someone who could be a Jonathan or a Samuel or a Nathan in your life. Then I'm going to go back to last Sunday. Be intentional. Look for a time to get together and truly open yourself up and be vulnerable. Be open and honest. That's what David did. You know my door is always open. I'm just a phone call or text away. Facebook Messenger works also. Because this lower story... The story that we read today of the faith of young David provides us a great example of how God grants victory in the face of impossible odds. And we know that God continues to work. You know, the story of David, it, it, 
it anticipates Jesus' victory on the cross in the face of all the powers that are against him. But we need to remember that we're not to place our trust in human endeavors, devices, or even ourselves. The message of the cross is that God chose what is weak to be strong. So as we begin this new church year, as we begin Advent, we're preparing once again for the arrival of our King. Our King. The greatest King that has ever, ever been. Amen.